Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. Welcome to the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran Shane Whaley will take you on a journey with fellow tourpreneurs, sharing their tips, ideas, insights, and success stories to inspire you to make your tour business the best it can be. And now, please welcome your host, Shane. Hello and welcome to the Tourpreneur Podcast. Today, we are going to air the audio of the recent Arrival Online Town Hall. Now, Douglas Quinby and his team at Arrival have been conducting a survey of the impact of the coronavirus since March 8th. And in this town hall, Doug Quinby walks us through the key findings and he discusses them with Peter Syme. You all know Peter, a veteran in the tour industry, has been on the show a couple of times, and also with Sean Finelli, CEO of the Tour Guy, who, you know, let's spare a thought for him because most of his tours are based in Italy. Um, so they talk through the findings. Uh, Peter has been having one-to-ones with uh, dozens of tour operators out there, so he's really got his ear to the ground uh, when it comes to what's happening out there in the trenches. So it's always worthwhile listening to Peter uh, and also, it's a town hall, so Doug takes questions and uh, lots of things being discussed on this episode. I want to say a huge thank you to the guys at Arrival, that's Douglas, Alex, and Bruce, for allowing us to air this audio, because I know many of us are trying to get exercise, and I personally, when I'm out, I'm either trying to escape the world by listening to some good music, or I'm listening to a business podcast, uh, because I want to grow, I want to learn And this gives us an opportunity where you can go out and get your hours walking or your treadmill or your bike or whatever it may be and and actually learn what's going on in the industry. I also urge you to go to arrivalevent.com and sign up for the webinars. Um, You know, it's it's an a la carte. You go in, sign up for the ones that are relevant to you. Um, Again, massive thanks to Arrival. They've really stepped up here. It's really difficult right now to provide content in our industry because none of us know when this is going to end. Nobody really has magic answers. We've never been in this situation before. So, you know, a lot of us are kind of being paralyzed, uh, but many of us are talking to you, our listeners, our consumers of content, asking you what you want to hear and uh, take my hat off to Arrival for doing this. Uh, Don't forget, you know, Arrival had to cancel their event in Berlin. Um, Who knows what will happen to their other events, but, you know, they're also a business that are facing a lot of struggles as well. So let's give them a virtual round of applause for what they're doing for the industry. So we will um, handpick, we won't have all the sessions, but we will handpick the ones that we think are most relevant to to the tourpreneur community. Uh, so without further ado, let's hand over to Doug Quinby, Peter Syme, and Sean Finelli. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this new edition of Arrival Online. This is our very first 
Town Hall. Uh, welcome, everyone. I'm Douglas Quinby, co-founder and CEO of Arrival, and I'm delighted to be joined by Peter Syme, Managing Director of A Thousand Mile Journeys, and basically um, every tour and activity operator's tour whisperer, I guess, guiding operators through this extraordinary, really unprecedented time. I think, Pete, you've made, I mean, you're basically doing one-on-one calls with operators almost every day trying to provide some guidance. Is that right? Yeah, every day we're trying to get through as many as we can. Obviously, there's only so many hours in the day, but so far we've had calls with 35, 36 countries and nearly 50 operators. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Well, thank you very much for everything that you're doing for operators around the world. Uh, it's uh, it's ex- just an extraordinary thing, so thank you. Uh, and we also have Sean Finelli, the CEO of The Tour Guy, uh, who uh, we had... You know, Sean, we had you all set up. You had done so much work to give an amazing talk at Arrival Berlin. We were so looking forward to it, uh, to share your story from you were kind of rags to riches on Wall Street, then back to rags and then back to riches in, you know, as a tour operator founder. Now, where are you? Are you uh, riches, rags? What's what's the current state of the tour guy? It's closer closer to rags. What we're close <laughs> Sort of rags right now, basically. Yeah, now, so yeah, it's cool to be. Oh, you know, Sean, it looks like we're having a little bit of a challenge with your audio. Please just check that. Well, so as we begin, because you're coming in and out a little bit, so if you would check on that and. So while we proceed with our, our session today. So this is um, our first town hall. I'm going to be presenting some findings from our ongoing uh, coronavirus impact uh, pulse study. Uh, and I'll be getting reaction from Pete and from Sean on what we're seeing here. Uh, just a couple of quick housekeeping items uh, before we dig in. So you can ask a question anytime in our Q&A panel to the right. Uh, there's also an upvote button there. So uh, if you see a question that you you like, you want to make sure it gets asked, uh, just touch on the upvote link and I will make sure to, to ask it. Uh, then once we get through the presentation, uh, we're going to open this up in a town hall format. So we're going to make our chat function uh, available and uh, you can raise your hand. There's a button on the lower right hand side, a kind of hand and you can raise your hand. Uh, and then we will open up your mic and you can ask your question live. And we're going to keep things going as long as we have people here and we have uh, questions uh, to be answered. And as long as Pete and, and Sean uh, are available, uh, you can also tweet about this event uh, online at uh, hashtag arrival online. So we can have the conversation going on Twitter as well. I want to quickly acknowledge all of Arrival's global partners uh, they have uh, been instrumental in making, well, Arrival possible, our conferences offline, uh, as well as all of our online uh, events that we are providing to the global tour activity and attraction uh, landscape uh, for free. Uh, so we thank all of them for their support uh, during this very challenging time uh, for all of us. Okay, so let's dig into the results from our coronavirus impact uh, study. You may have seen we published the first set of results a week ago, and but we've been continuing to track this and there have been some pretty 
instrumental changes. I do want to acknowledge we've had some partners that have helped us field this survey to operators around the world. So I want to thank all of them. And if you uh, have also responded to this survey, thank you for taking uh, the five to 10 minutes to provide your responses uh, and help us. So we've had so far more than 800 responses, actually 816 as of yesterday. And the fielding window is from March 8th uh, until, uh, well, it's, it's ongoing. Here's the distribution of our respondents. So you can see it's mostly tour operators, and this is pretty consistent with what we see generally in the marketplace. So within tours, activities, and attractions, there's this really long tail of lots of small uh, small to medium-sized enterprises, also uh, activity operators, and then attractions, which tend to represent larger organizations, but there are far fewer of them. And then we also have about 20% of our respondents come from the world of distribution, from technology, companies that are providing services around our industry. Our respondents for the survey, just like I think many of you are from all over the world, you operate in regions all over uh, the world. You'll notice here, too, that the percentages uh, exceed well over 100 percent. And this is because we have a number of companies that have operations in multiple regions. So one of the things that we do is we're tracking the what we call kind of a sentiment measure, like how are operators feeling about it? What has the impact been on their business and their uh, their outlook overall? And this is looking first at the week of March 9 to 13. So this was last week. And we could see that most were beginning to feel some effects, but they wouldn't categorize it as severe. It was largely operators in Asia Pacific and also to a certain degree in Italy, where we saw a fairly severe uh, impact. Now, as we look at this past week, of course, this has shifted pretty dramatically as we've seen this incredible, really unprecedented expansion of travel restrictions uh, and quarantines across uh, North America, across uh, Europe and other parts of the world. So not too surprising here, but it really does, it really does hit home. Uh, another measure that it's, you know, this is not something that we frankly take any joy in, uh, but we're, we want to get a sense of how severe is this uh, this challenge that we're facing. What does this really mean to operators? So we're asking all of you, what's the risk that your business could fail? We all know in this industry, in travel and tourism, and as a tour operator, our businesses run on cash. <laughs> we fund our businesses based on the cash that's coming in. And I'll say, you know, as a you know, as as someone who operates. Uh, conferences and events and, and, and media as well. Uh, we, in fact, have a similar model. We don't do tours all over the year. We do three or four conferences a year. But you, we think of basically a conference as like one of our departures. Uh, and uh, so we've had to make uh, some postponements like all of you have. And so we're feeling the effects as well, uh, for sure. So here we're asking operators, so what's the risk that your business could fail within three months, within six months, if there's no improvement or no return to a kind of normal kind of travel, uh, the possibility of travel and a return of demand. And here, as of last week, we saw about 28% of operators were at risk of failure within three months if there's no recovery. Of course, that number goes up quite a bit if this situation persists to six months. Now let's look how this has shifted in just a week. So really pretty 
uh, pretty significant. So 43% of operators now saying that their business could be at risk of failure within three months. Just before I go on, you know, Pete, I would, I'd love to get, you know, your impression, uh, you know, impression here when you see this, you know, what's your, you know, what's your reaction? I mean, what's your take? I mean, do you think the risk is really so great that within three months we could see up to two and five operators failing? Yes, I think it's actually worse than what that slide is, and I've got no pleasure in saying that. So many, especially small operators, so many small operators are really living week to week, month to month on a cash flow basis. If the cash is gone, they're not going to last three months. We, are, I already know operators that have decided just to shut down. Now, the, the really small ones, the ones that are running and just by themselves or two people, maybe that is the correct decision. Close the business down. Wait it out if you can wait it out. Maybe get some part-time work elsewhere and open up again when the situation's better. But I feel horrible saying it, but I actually think the situation's worse than your your respondents at the moment. Yeah, I've been I've been hearing this term a lot. I've been seeing it in kind of different social uh, discussion groups. Uh, the term hibernation is uh, it seems to be coming up a lot. Hibernating a business. I'd like to kind of talk through a bit later. You know, what does that look like and how does an operator do that? But is that, you know, if you're a small to medium sized operator um, with not a lot of significant fixed costs, is that what we're really looking at for, for most of them? I, th- I think so. And it is a viable strategy to get through this uh, because it obviously saves them burning any more cash. Uh, it does, if they keep the digital assets, the assets they do need alive, they can re. Maybe some of them go off and get jobs elsewhere to get some cash for their personal needs in the meantime. But mm. as, the, as travel comes back, you're basically redoing a startup, but with some history. And doing a startup with some history is easier than doing a brand new startup. So it's, it's a viable model, but I don't think it's viable for medium-sized businesses and larger businesses. I think it's viable for really small businesses. Yeah, got it. Well, let's, I'd like to talk about that more as we go through it, because certainly if yeah, it's a larger company and if you've got, you know, operations, fit, you know, fixed assets, physical assets yeah. that you've got to maintain, then that's got to be uh, it's got to be a real challenge. Well, I definitely want to come back, uh, come back to that. Uh, so hey, another- Doug, I just want to point out that oh. I am here on the call. I apologize. My uh, my Internet wasn't great, so I just dialed back in as well. So I'm here. I apologize about lack of video. OK. Oh, great. Well, it's great to have you back, Sean. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm going through the deck. I know you've got a copy of it. So just please, you know, follow along because I'll be asking you to chime in. So uh, so we also wanted to get a sense from operators. OK, what percentage of your bookings are are canceled? Uh, so from the beginning of the year. And as you can see, there's been a, an extraordinary uh, growth in cancellations. You know, I quite honestly you know, I've been doing lots of research in this sector for years, and I've really enjoyed showing slides about the growth of the market and growth of certain segments. This is not a slide that I ever imagined I would ever have to show as um, um, as in all, all of our work and kind of research at, at Arrival. Um, but it's it is the the nature of things today. I'd like to uh, launch a, a poll and ask all of our attendees. Uh, what percentage of your bookings have been uh, canceled? Uh, so if you would take a moment to respond to the question, I've opened it up here. 
and we can watch it you know, live as your responses come in. Like to see to what extent your experience, the cancellations you're seeing, match up with uh, what our survey has said. Pete, what's your you know what's your response to this? I w- actually was concerned this could be even a little bit low. Yeah, that you've got to put this in perspective of a timeline. Many operators have bookings that were for due next week, due for April, due for May, but many operators have got bookings that are due to arrive June, July, August, September. So just take it as a timeline as each week passes. The individuals, the guests get more worried about the booking. So the closer it is to their departure date, the steeper the increase in the cancellations. This is purely based on on timeline. People sitting on September bookings at the moment, there's a fair chance these people are going to sit and wait rather than cancel. Hmm. But if you're sitting on April, May bookings, they've gone, they're canceled. Sean, what about what about you? What are you guys seeing at, at the tour guide and how does it stack up with with your sense of the market? Well, we're uh, we're heavily based in Europe, so uh, I kind of agree with Peter, or more than kind of agree with Peter, that if you're you're looking at your March, April, and May bookings, and they're not going to be doing so well, most people are going to be canceling. I would say it's higher than six six percent. I mean, in Italy, we're completely canceled mm-hmm. through through the middle of April. You know, and most of Europe as well, which is completely on lockdown. So you're looking at, uh, I think, a larger than sixty six percent cancellation if you're heavily concentrated on on Europe where your customer base is majority American. I think you're higher than that. But that said, we're we're getting some cancellations for June, uh, nothing really for July, August, September yet. And we, we find that as a good sign. Mm. Yeah, I think we also one of our attendees, I think Peter from also from Italy basically said it's <laughs> kind of a hundred percent kind of you know done, right? Lockdown right, you know, right now and uh, and and we're also seeing it's pretty consistent with what our attendees are saying. So 43 uh, percent are seeing cancellations greater than 80 percent. Another 22 percent are more than 60 percent. So, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty clear that this number is is um, probably what we're seeing from our survey could even be a little bit low. And it's going to increase as we continue uh, to take this this pulse uh, of the of the market. All right. So then we also asked operators to tell us, okay, so just how bad is it? To what extent are your bookings down year to date? Uh, And, you know, this is, you know, this is pretty bad. I really, I can't think uh, of a time in, I've been in travel and tourism for a couple of decades, and I can't think of a time when there was a decline so so abrupt, so profound, and over such a short amount of time, that really seemed to be, you know, kind of open, open-ended. So I'd like to also, uh, I'd like to also open up our second poll here and ask again all of you uh, who are on the call to tell us, you know, what what is the state of your bookings today? Uh, to what extent are you down versus 2019? So, Sean, I'll start with you again. I'll start with you here. So uh, what's your your sense of this? Is this uh, pretty consistent with what with what you're seeing? Is it high? Is it low? Uh, I I don't think we're quite at that point yet. I think that we'll get to that point. Uh, So I've been speaking a lot to some other tour operators in our industry just because uh, I have a heavy fix on on banking and lending. So there are a lot of them coming to me, asking me a question. I'm trying to work them through different like loan options in the United States. And everyone's pretty much saying that at some point in mid-March, 
because most people were growing this year. It's, it's been a, an economic boom for online travel agencies and online tourism companies. So most people are saying that around mid-March, their, their revenue started to equal last year instead of being much higher than last year. And now we're starting to, you know, a lot of companies are starting to get into more of a decline based on the cancellations. So I don't, uh, we're not at 65%. We're basically around the same as last year, but we will, I think we'll get to 65% if this continues, which hopefully it won't. Wow. Well, it, from what we're seeing from our, from our poll, from our respondents, it seems like you are a bit you know, ahead of the market, which is good to hear, but certainly the news that we're seeing, just the results from this poll are, are pretty, pretty concerning. I mean, basically we're looking at nearly 70% of our attendees today are down 60% or more. Uh, and a good percentage of them, I think, clearly are are quite you know, quite a bit more. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, it is it is pretty concerning. Pete, very quickly, you know, from you, has this? Are we? Yes, January and February were great bookings, but basically since we've entered March, every operator I've spoke to has seen steep, steep declines since entering March. And every day in March, we've come past the speed of the decline of bookings. And many are just not seeing any bookings now. Yeah. Therefore, within two weeks' time, the, the numbers are just going to be decimating within two weeks' time. Oh. I agree. Well, here's a view by by region, uh, and this is the most current data. When we looked at this, and we, we did actually publish this a week ago on our website, on arrival.travel, and you can look at it and do a quick comparison. We're going to be updating these numbers and releasing this document. Uh, in fact, uh, the slides that I'm presenting here, you can all access in the handouts uh, section on the panel to your uh, to your right. Uh, so, uh, but we see here how it is by region. What's interesting is, uh, you know, I, I'd say that a week ago Asia was higher, uh, and uh, other regions were not quite as bad. But in the past week, everything has has spiked up anywhere from you know ten to 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 uh, twenty percentage points. Uh, with now Europe, uh, North America, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, the United States surpassing uh, surpassing Asia, so really, it's it's pretty uh, pretty concerning uh, what we're what we're seeing out here. So we also wanted to ask operators. Okay, so this is where we are today. How are things looking for the rest of the year? Uh, and the the average kind of projected impact that all of you said you see is about fifty three percent down for the rest of the year which is interesting. So that's lower than the 65% average that you said you're down currently. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's on the one hand, it's a, uh, it's a pretty uh, sobering finding. On the other hand, it suggests that there's a, you know, an expectation that we could start to see a return of demand. So a lot of you are optimistic that demand will return at some point, you know, later in, uh, in the year. So, you know, Pete, what's your, you know, your, your feeling here for you to look out for the full year, you think uh, you're going to down, down this much or more? The situation is tour operators and activity operators tend to be an optimistic bunch. Otherwise we wouldn't do this. So people filling in this report are very optimistic. Hmm. They're looking at the timelines and psychology wise, they'll go for the best feeling that's going to help. So they see their sale exiting maybe June, July, getting the height of the season, bouncing back. Now, each operator, depending on where they're based, has to have a timeline and make a shout on that and make a decision on that. I'm personally thinking it's going to be much worse on that, and I'm planning on it being much worse than that. Because if it isn't, I'm going to be happy. 
But if I plan on this sort of number, I'm going to be disappointed, I think, mm. because this is going to hit. We're in the Northern Hemisphere, we're going into the, the season, the summer season, and by all, I'm not, Ken, I'm not an expert on the scientific knowledge, but they're all predicting the peak in the main markets in the middle of the summer. Hmm. Well, let's have a look at this, actually, because we did ask operators, okay, so when are travelers coming back? And this is what all of our respondents said. So a lot of folks are pretty optimistic. And I guess this is what you're pointing to, Pete, that there's hope that demand will at least begin to return over the peak summer months, June, July, or or maybe August. But we, you know, we see that basically uh, two out of three operators are telling us, okay, but somewhere between June and September, we're going to start to see demand uh, trickling back. Sean, what's your your take? Is this uh, is this wishful thinking uh, on the part of operators? Yeah. I wonder if you're asking when do you think or when do you want? I <laughs> 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 like. I want to clarify what the question is here. Well, we the word we exactly used was expect. Expect. If, if, I want customers to come back in June, July, and I'm optimistic. Um, my business partner just drove down to Florida yesterday. To, you know, his family's down there, and to get some warm weather. And he said people are out and about doing normal things in Florida because the weather's quite nice. So I'm hoping that when the weather warms up, people will get out of this cabin fever and be like, "I got to get out of here, travel, go somewhere, and ideally go to Europe." That said, with with as the the analyst side of me says there has been no change in the curve to point towards things getting better yet. So I can't quite track when it would get better because we haven't seen the all the outbreak data point towards it getting better in Europe, that is. It's still just on the you know on the rise. So I, I'm thinking August, September is probably where you want to put your chips and and really plan on on September and October being great months. Oh okay. Pete I don't just, think you uh, yeah just on any of the listeners who are listening who filled in that 17% at April and May, please, please, please look me up the next time we're at an event because I want to spend some time drinking with you because you're going to be so much fun. <laughs> you're, you're just so, you're so optimistic, you people. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> no, I'm, if we get what Sean said there, that August bounce, I'll be a happy, happy guy, but I'm not planning yeah. for it. I'm planning for right at the back end of the year. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I think September, October is when you hopefully can get some revenue in, and that will keep a lot of people alive to get to 2021. Yeah, yeah for sure. Hmm. Uh, so we've got you know a number of questions that have come in around the future and the impact. What are some things that you're doing? What does this all mean? So I want to get to all of those. And it's going to they're going to come up, too, as we go through some of the responses around when we ask these questions. OK, what are operators doing? around business, uh, changes to their business, around marketing, uh, around cancellation policies and working with customers. So let me go through a couple of these things and then we'll tackle uh, some of these some of these questions. So, you know, first, we just wanted to get a sense of, OK, what are operators doing? How are they responding? Of course, you know, not surprisingly, you know, the first thing you want to do is where can you cut expenses? I I'm honestly was pretty surprised to see that just 63% said that they're looking at expense reduction. I, I can't imagine any company in this marketplace today that's not doing this. So I'm, I am wondering what the other 37% of operators that didn't tick this uh, are, are doing. Um, 
because whenever whenever business is down, this is the first thing you have to look at. Uh, we also see about a third are engaging in a hiring freeze, reducing departures and products, uh, as well as uh, laying off staff. I was also surprised about the layoff number. I thought that was a little bit a little bit low, uh, but then we also looked at this by the size of the company, and here's where it really starts you know, to make a lot of sense. So once you start to look at companies that are a bit larger, they're doing you know, really upwards of several thousand passengers a year. Uh, you know, in that the chart, the slide to the right, that's actually should be more than 10,000 passengers annually, not, not less than. So that's an editing mistake on my part, but so not surprisingly, larger companies are gonna have more staff, more employees. They're much more likely to engage in layoffs. For all of these companies that are serving, excuse me, a thousand or fewer passengers a year. So what we see in this case, <clears throat> these are overwhelmingly you know, very small businesses. They could be family businesses or husband, wife or sole proprietorships. So there's often not staff you know, to lay off uh, other than, say, contractors or guides that uh, you simply reduce uh, reduce the uh, reduce the hours. So uh, just on kind of operations and you know an activity there, uh, you know, Pete, let me get your you know reaction here. You know, first, are these in terms of these numbers? I would presume that you know every operator in the marketplace uh, should be looking at all of these things, right? Yeah, for sure. There is a human element here that when disasters happen, people tend not to respond to them quick enough because the situation's still playing out. Like I said, we're the most optimistic people in the world. Therefore, there's a slow call to action. Now, I can guarantee you the operators in Italy have had a quicker call to action, and they've probably carried out actions much more dramatic than what your your numbers say, because they're right in the heart of it. The rest yeah. of us are just hitting that now. So these numbers, again, are going to up, go up 37%. It didn't look at reducing expenses. By today, they are looking at reducing expenses. If they're yeah. not, they're going out of business. Yeah, yeah. Sean, anything to add on this? I mean, I, uh, what you're seeing here is surprising. What do you expect? Yeah, I think that most of the people are going to admit to, to laying off staff. I don't think that many people want to want to come out and tell people that they're they're laying people off. I think that's definitely uh, your next slide. The stat for the size of the company has a large effect on who's going to lay off staff. Like if you're doing a thousand and maybe ten thousand departures, you might be able to do that with you know, a mom and pop and your kids all being tour guides and things like that, in which case you can't really lay people off or you don't, uh, but larger companies are. We we found there's a lot of really creative things that companies can do instead of laying people off. And, and we, I love to add that information at, at some point during the, uh, during the presentation. You know, can you, well, can you, can you run through a couple of them, you know, really quickly? I mean, I, I presume kind of furloughs would be one um, or pay reductions, but what hour reduction, like what, what are some things that you have from your experience? We've gotten... We've gotten really creative with it, and uh, I just have been overwhelmed by how amazing my team is and how amazing my staff has been all over the world. Uh, in Europe, you, you obviously can't lay people off due to contracts, so we asked our people to go on halftime to reduce the payroll expense, and everyone agreed, and we're extremely supportive of that and amazing throughout the entire process. In the United States, we we you know we just realized on February 25th what was going to happen as the the refunds started racking up. So we asked our team if they would be interested in, in reducing their salaries to minimum wage and, you know, the people that could afford that, obviously. And then we replaced the remainder of their salary with equity at a very high multiple and, and, and a very attractive uh, valuation. And, and everyone was really excited about that, obviously. And we were able to keep on a large part of our team. 
at this point, and we've gotten so tight, and it's been very, very good throughout this this hardship. So there's a lot of I'm asking everyone to try to get creative because the people you do lay off, they won't be able to find jobs right now. So you have mm-hmm. I, you have to do you have to reduce costs. You have to get aggressive with it, but try to find creative ways to keep people on. Mm-hmm. And how many employees do you have, Sean? Uh, we have globally. North of 50 employees full time. So let's look also at um, uh, I want to look at sales and marketing and some of the changes that are taking place there. Uh, So here's what operators are are telling us, you know, so focus, uh, increase focus on local uh, marketing. So serving kind of local residents or experiences in your in your backyard. Um, I, I, you know, it's interesting. There's been a lot of talk about this in the uh, kind of online among, you know, different experts and, uh, and giving advice to operators. Although I think when we look at a situation like uh, like Italy or like was just announced in, you know, in California, where, you know, people are effectively uh, advised, you know, to, to stay at home and really across, you know, much of the U.S. where I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, where gatherings of, of 10 or more people of are are are. Um, uh, are basically forbidden. So it really makes that, I think, you know, Im- impractical. Uh, uh, but um, uh, certainly all co- a lot of companies are reducing online marketing spend as well. I would expect this number to go up quite a bit. Uh, discounting. Um, we do see some companies engaging in discounting. Uh, I My sense here, and I'd love to get take from, from Pete and from, from Sean, but, uh, you know, when you discount you know, and there's <laughs> when no one's buying, <laughs> I'm not sure what an impact, you know, discounting, you know, has. Uh, and the advice that and the conversations I've had say that, you know, it really doesn't doesn't help anything. Uh, Pete, you know, what's your when you look at some of these these tactics that operators are engaging in, you know, what's your, your response here? Yes, yeah, it's, it's got to be judged by where the operator is, where the geography is and where their social markets are coming from. Because if you're an Italian operator in complete lockdown at the moment, most UK operators where I am at the moment are more or less in complete lockdown. Offering a discount is just laugh because you can't get a customer anyway because you can't take a booking. So And you can give it for free. You're still not getting a customer. So there's a time for discounting, but it's not now. That will come later on when we get to the back end, but it's it's not now. So just ignore, ignore that one. Increasing your marketing to local residents great if you have a local market at some point and some people still have a local market and they're able to do stuff at the moment which is great and they can generate cash but you have to judge that against are you going to have a local market next week because your lockdown is coming next week so all of this has to be put in the perspective of what's actually happening outside our control because if we're going to get on top of this thing I think everywhere has to go into the lockdown that Italy's experience at the moment. Otherwise, we're just going to be drip feeding, drip feeding, drip feeding, having chaos for even longer than we're going to have. So these tactics I'm concentrating on for when we come out of it, not going into it. Hmm. Hmm. Sean, what about on on your side? Uh, Is there anything from a sales and marketing side that operators should be doing now? Yes, uh, I definitely is. Now, I I agree with Pete that it, it definitely makes sense geographically where you are. If there's a market in South Africa that's still functioning and getting customers, can, and you can you can market to your local people, continue to do that if there's no spread. But it will most likely spread all over the globe. 
my recommendation is to reduce your online spending as, as vastly as possible and to try to get creative with marketing. Right now, journalists want to cover everyone affected by this, uh, by, by the outbreak and what's happening, and they want to know more about businesses, large or small. So to increase your earned media with PR, which is pitching nonstop, get on, uh, you know, uh, HARO, help a reporter out and look for, for media leads and just try to look for free ways to get your company name out there instead of uh, trying to spend on ads because no one's purchasing right now. Like, you know, like I said, our, our revenue has not dropped to 63% of last year, lower than 63, but our bookings from the point of disaster, you know, forward are just, they're, they're at a standstill. You know, there's no comparison. Mm-hmm. So it's just to try to get your name out as much as possible, do podcasts or webinars or create any content you can, but don't, don't pay money for that content right now. Don't pay money to get it out there. Also, at the moment, uh, operators who are in lockdown are not marketing. They're going to have to change some of the product set because the product set today may be suitable for what was, but it's not going to be suitable for, mm. for the future we're coming out. If you were doing food tours or food experiences in Italy, you cannot sell a pizza-making class to an Italian. It's not happening. Therefore, <laughs> the, that operator has to quickly come up with some new product sets that will be suitable for the new market as we come out of this. Mm, no, that's a great, uh, that's a great point. And actually, you know, it relates to a question here. I do have a little bit more research to to, to get to, but I think this ties into a question that's gotten a lot of votes. This is from uh, Francisco Elmore. Uh, so we're uh, he's asking: Is the travel industry changing forever after the crisis? What would you predict would be the most impactful changes we will face? And I, so your your talk about how we really need to rethink our our product for a post coronavirus world. Um, what so, Pete? What's how is this going to change our our marketplace, our customers? You have to look at the big global picture here and where do we fit in it? We're tours and activities. The reality is we exist because there's steel tubes flying all over the air. Are there going to be as many steel tubes flying at the end of this? And the ones that are flying, what is the cost of flying? Because if this goes on a long time, a lot of airlines are going to go out of business. So you're going to have less capacity in the air, which normally means the price of flying is going to go up, which means the bounce back is going to be longer take longer to fill back in. So the volume of people doing long-haul international travel theoretically could be drastically reduced for a long period of time. Now, if that's the case, that impacts on tour and activity operators, because obviously the people are not traveling, they're not in the hotels. Your products have to change to suit the market. So in, in all disasters, markets come back locally first, regionally second, so if you're an Italian operator and you can't sell to Italians your product set, but you can sell to French and Spanish and Swiss and German, your regional markets will come back maybe before your U.S. market. Many Italian operators, U.S. is a number one market. But as this bounces back, I would put my money on being the European market coming back before the American market. Sean, you know what? What's uh, what's your take? What's what are some of the I'd say fundamental uh, shifts that we're going to see in the market that you're already thinking about and preparing for? Well, I think that the the main shift that's going to happen is 
there's going to be a change in, in cancellation policies amongst tour operators. The, the right now there's 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 a, a few different types of tour operators and how they market. But many many tour operators are direct to consumer, in which case we're selling majority of our of our products directly to our consumers and you know taking deposits for them, buying tickets, and then servicing them when they come six to twelve weeks later. And then there's other tour operators that sell mostly through OTAs, which OTAs will give you the money after the service and you still have to pay half of the ticket. So that purchase ahead for the ticket is is hurting both different types of sales channels, whether you're direct consumer or B2B. And I think that I think that cancellation policies might look more like airline cancellation policies moving forward. And, you know, I, I don't know what Peter's cancellation policy is, but judging by the fact that he's a, I think, uh, scheduled departures of like multi-day vacations where you're going on a five or 10 day trip. I'm assuming that you have a tighter cancellation policy than a tour operator like me, which is like a 24 hour, 100% money back guaranteed cancellation. Because most companies aren't struggling right now. Most companies I've spoken to, and I've spoken to the plenty of, of, of other of my competitors and different tour operators. The struggle isn't that they're not making any money. The struggle is the, the refunds is what's, what's hurting everyone. Let's just take a moment to look at so cancellation policies and refunds, because we'd also asked operators about this in our survey. Specifically, you know, we looked at, you know, what what is your standard policy? And Sean, you know, to your point, you know, most operators provide uh, a full or partial refund within a certain within a certain window. Uh, here, we've asked operators, OK, what changes are you making as a result of the current you know, crisis, crisis that we're, we're facing? And there are a number of things that operators are, are doing. So uh, we see that you know, there's a third that are really addressing requests on a case by case basis. Uh, we see about one in four are uh, trying to offer credits for future tours or experiences, which I would expect is going to increase and should be advice for all operators. But I'd love to get thoughts from Pete and Sean on this. Uh, also, we have some operators that are are being more flexible around their traditional cancellation policies, which is certainly very customer friendly and, um, and makes a lot of sense. Or in one out of five cases, simply offering refunds uh, with no with no questions uh, asked. So let's just spend a minute kind of talking about this. And I I do want to I saw a comment or in the Q&A uh, a tab from Chris Torres where I think he, I don't see it now, but he had made a comment that one of his clients has had a 2% cancellation rate and a 98% postponement rate, which is, uh, which is really pretty, you know, pretty interesting. So, you know, Pete, what's your, your thought? How should operators be approaching refunds and cancellations at a time like this? And how should they be rethinking them for uh, a post-corona world? This is quite complex. For the simple reason that with a huge fragmentation in an industry and all the different types of operators, we've all got very different cancellation policies in existence as it is. There's also the legal aspect, depending on which where you're operating. There's some legal stuff that goes around this, particularly tour operators in the European Union. So there's, there is can, what you have to do and what you can't do involved in this. So it's quite a complex thing, and I agree People are going to pay a lot more attention to this in the future, for sure. And then it comes down to what is your... So I'm lucky I'm getting experience of the chaos from multiple businesses. My long haul, where there's big bookings involved, tens of thousands, long uh, long periods, the cancellation policy there we have is much, much stricter. And the ability to get people to reschedule on that is much reduced. 
in my day operating businesses, we're getting a rescheduling as of today of upwards of 80%. But that's because there's not as much money involved per customer. And the, the source destinations of these customers makes it easier for them to reschedule. Whereas the people who are going on my long haul, it's, it's really difficult for them to reschedule. And I'm only one chain in the link because then there's air, airlines in, in that. There's their employer in that because they have to change their, their vacation time, et cetera, et cetera. So this is complex. It's operator by operator and it's jurisdiction by jurisdiction. Is there any reason, uh, Pete, for an operator not to try to reschedule a booking rather than, than uh, simply take a cancel and refund in whole or in part? Everybody should be trying it, and some people will have great success in it, and some people will just find it very difficult just depending on their operation. But for sure, you should be trying it because if the customer is happy to do that, they're, they're basically giving you a lifeline to keep you in business. Got it. And Sean, what about on, on, on your side, you know, in terms of you talked about this, how important this is going to be. What changes do you see with regard to cancellation policies going forward? I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of things I'm hoping will change. The, the problem is, well, not the problem, I guess our challenge is that once this all, you know, goes back to normal, we're all going to be fighting again for customers. Every tour company is going to want to get more customers in the next. And the better your cancellation policy after some sort of pandemic like this, more chance you will get those customers. So while I want to say I want to create my cancellation policy to be a full credit up to one minute before the tour starts on any cancellations for any reason whatsoever, you can just say you don't like me and you still get the refund, the, the credit, and that's no problem. Uh, I, I think that it will, I'm, I'm, it most likely will stay a 24-hour cancellation policy for tour operators like myself that do one-day departures, you know, single-day departures, and you know, four-hour tours. I would hope that the industry of the change as a whole, um, which I don't even know the legality of communicating about cancellation policies from one tour company to the next, but the industry would have to change to some sort of credit-based cancellation instead of a uh, the 24-hour full refund for any reason. Because that's what we are. We're a full refund, 24 hours for and for any reason you want. I, so there's, I've asked this on a webinar the other day, and I just want to pose this to both of you. You know, something that you know, hotels introduced uh, a few years ago was the idea of a discount for a for a kind of a, like a non-refundable price. So, and airlines have this too to a certain degree. So you can have the refundable option at this price point, but if you want a cheaper price and you're willing to commit to it and, and not accept a refund, is that even possible in the world of tours and activities? Pete, is that is that something that operators should look at and, and even could implement? I think it would be difficult to implement across the whole industry. Some operators definitely have the capacity to do that. Uh, you've got to mind a hotel room is a hotel room is a hotel room, and it just has a different name above the door. This fragmented industry where we're all different, it's, it's really difficult to come up with standard things that fit everyone. But some people could for sure implement that. And that was that's basically building resilience into your business. You maybe make less, less profit on the booking, but that booking is secure, and that cash flow is secure. So it's building resilience into your business. So it can be done. I'd love to see some people trying it and then get the data to see how successful it is. Hmm. All right. So I think this brings us yep to the close of our, of the research presentation. Uh, so all of the slides are available to everyone. You can go to the handout tab and download them. 
so we do have a number of questions in the Q&A tab. And I so I just got a notification. Uh, unfortunately, we uh, we cannot open up the public chat and take your questions over the phone. Uh, it turns out there are too many of you on there and we've overloaded the, the system. So we have a cap if we want to be able to take questions. Uh, and we've got too many on on the call, which is which is great, uh, but we can do this via the Q&A. So please uh, fire away your questions in our Q&A field. Uh, and also, if you see one that you like, vote them. There's a bunch that have got, got some votes here. So I'm just going to go right from the top and we'll work our way uh, down. So, uh, so Sean, I'm going to start with you, especially with your background as a financial analyst. I've got a question from Chris. Do you think OTAs are safe or are we in for a major OTA, an online travel agency collapsing. Um, certainly OTAs are, uh, you know, they're, they're basically demand engines for tour and activity operators uh, around the world. Uh, and demand, as we all know, has pretty much dried up. Uh, so what's your, what's your take? Is there a risk? Are we going to see fewer OTAs uh, as a result of this? Maybe the small ones, but the the larger ones, you know, and the one, you know, get your guide has half a billion dollars in funding from SoftBank. SoftBank's not going to let them fail. Uh, Viator is owned by TripAdvisor. TripAdvisor is a publicly traded company that's massive, doing you know over a billion in revenue each year. They're not going to let Viator fail. Uh, Head Out also has a, a, a multitude of investors. Uh, they're great guys, by the way. I, I love them over there. Uh, they are they're not going to fail because they are investor backs. You know, investors want to keep their investments. So I don't think these companies will fail. Uh, I think some of the small startups that are trying to get into this space will, will most likely, you know, fall away if they don't have any investor backings or just small investor backings. P, what about you? What's your take on this? Uh, the big ones, I'm, I'm agreeing with Sean on this. The big ones are safe. I mean, TripAdvisor announced a refinancing deal for the parent company the other day, $350 million or whatever it was. So the big ones are not going to fail from this. Uh, there's, a, there's an argument if you start crunching the numbers. I know this sounds weird, but they may actually be making money out of this because some of them were on a, a digital war to grab landscape, uh, to grab digital space. Therefore, they were purchasing bookings and spending more to get a booking than the booking was worth. Whereas they're not spending that at the moment, so they're actually not burning as much cash at the moment as they were. So the big ones are going to be safe. Some are going to be strategically strengthened from this fallout. The small and medium-sized ones, I have a feeling there'll be a complete clean-out of them. I just don't see how they have the resources to withstand this. From a demand side, from the customer's, they're all figuring, finding out that when you deal with tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, in some case, millions of customers, they've all just found out that they don't have the resources to do that when it comes back at scale. So the brands have been damaged at the moment. They haven't got the communication channels that, that work well with customers at this amount of scale. They're also finding out that from the demand side, when a customer is stressed, can't get the answer they want, they jump round. So they don't just contact the OTA, they contact the supplier who was supplying the OTA. And that whole communication channel gets very messy, very horrible. Who's doing the refund? Where is the refund? There's a lot of lessons for this coming out for the OTAs, but I don't see the big ones failing. I see, so the, big ones, see the big ones making an advantage out of this over a longer period of time. But a lot of this, too, does depend on just how long we're in this for. If this, if we do start to see a return of some demand towards kind of late summer 
as I think many of us are give it a, a you know, a some degree of, of possibility uh, versus, say, if we're in this for six to six to nine months, that does certainly change the prospects for a lot of these companies. For sure. But they've another also because that, of sort of shock. Go I was going to say another thing to add to Peter's last point where he's talking about how the, the bigger OTAs are going to take more landscape here. The big problem is that we're still receiving the odd booking from Viator on our, on our you know, platform. So they might see higher search positions during this fallout. So like Peter was saying, they're paying so much more for customers to acquire them right now. And they might get these coveted search positions that company like companies like mine or, or Peter's or whoever else may own at this time, but are not receiving the bookings because Google will see the conversion rate going up and they'll get a higher position on search. So when this all rebounds, uh, all of us, like, you know, medium or smaller size operators might be in lower positions and the OTAs might own all the most coveted search positions. So next question, this is from Dan Rogowski from The Ride in, in New York. Uh, so what are the signs that we should be looking at for when things are going to start, you know, getting better? So uh, Sean, you know, as a financial analyst, when we're in the depth of of a recession or a downturn, what are the signals that you look at to see when uh, things might start to turn around? It's, it's a great question, and uh, I've thought it through thoroughly, and feel free to stop me because I have a lot to add here. Uh, there's there's a few things to look at. Now, the first is to look at the, the actual spread of this virus to decrease, which is a big deal, obviously. Then you're going to want to look at the amount of articles written per day about the virus to decrease, because obviously media sentiment pertaining to this is what's going to spread fear and stop travel. So when that starts to decrease, that's a secondary indicator. Uh, then you're going to have to look at any rise in unemployment and to understand country by country in your base countries where most of your market comes from, if there's a higher unemployment rate to kind of gauge what the impact is going to be on your business. But basically, once once countries stop locking down and allow people to, to go, go back to their normal lives, and then once the CDC and different international agencies like the WHO stop banning travel, you're going to see probably a two to six week you know, slow transition back to business, but it's not going to be every traveler. There's travelers like myself or Peter or yourself that are going to continue to travel through Europe. But then there's going to be the fringe travelers, which is the ones we've been seeing more and more each year that are probably not going to travel this year. So look for a decrease in media articles, look in decreasing cases rising, not a number, but percentage of total. And then you know, once the CDC drops these bands, look for you're, you're probably going to get 50 to 60 percent of your, your revenue that you're expecting from 2019 in, 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 the, in the months after that. Yeah, I mean, the, it's clear, you know, and Simone Gatze, the interview we did with him at the beginning of the week of uh, City Wonders, you know, he had this great comment that, you know, it's beyond travel, just the the the, the economic scars of this uh, of this event are are going to be so pervasive that uh, it's that it's the typical traveler, the family where they've they've lost a job or they've lost income for a certain period. It's going to take them time to rebuild their their wealth and have that disposable income to to get back uh, on the road again. Um, Pete, what's the thing, yeah? The, this is quite complex, but operators need to do this. They each need to build a timeline between now and when they think we're coming out. And that timeline is taking the government information that I've been told in your destination. But then you need timelines for each of your source destinations, where your customers are coming from. 
and then the data that you want to follow after you've got these timelines and the data that will adjust these timelines is quite simple. It's the data from airlines and it's the data from hotel room fills. And there's many organizations, you'll know them all, Douglas, who publish that data on a, a weekly basis, sometimes on a daily basis. And when you see that data starting to tick up, that means airlines are flying again, hotel rooms are filling again. We as tour operators, particularly day tour operators, you're the last bit of that. So that's when you can start taking the indications from factual data that traffic is starting to move between certain destinations again. Therefore, you quickly adjust your business processes, your products to suit what is happening. The days of building what you want to do have gone for a while. You have to build and work with what's happening. For local business, you want to be looking at anybody who's accommodation provider, the the villa providers, the self-catering providers, the cottage providers. It's just going right to the, your local DMO or CVB. I mean, they should be having that information, and especially at a time like this, be on top of it and be providing it to all of the operators in their markets. For sure. And the local providers are already started providing some of it. And it's it's great info because it allows tour operators to to plan. Now, sometimes your plans are going to be ripped up and changed, but you're, you're basing your planning on data and fact, not hope and mm-hmm. hearsay. So uh, since this this situation has started to to take hold, I've I've had this question come up in a number of different forums and seen it discussed online as well. And we have this kind of question to a degree from uh, Diana Flores uh, here. So, you know, OTAs, I've seen many operators call for OTAs to step in and decrease commissions. Uh, I've also we had our uh, roundtable uh, panel discussion uh, last week where we had, a, I thought, you know, an interesting comment from Tom Jenkins of the European Tourism Association, where he said, look, this is right now we're in a buyer's market uh, like never before. And anybody who can make a sale, <laughs> they deserve to be paid for it and paid well for it. So you could make an argument actually for increasing commissions at, at a time uh, like this. So, you know, Sean, you know, what's your, you know, what's your take on this kind of the role of OTAs in this place and uh, should they be cutting commissions? Should they be increasing commissions? You know, what's how, what's your view of the OTA landscape uh, as of today? You know, we all got that email, all the tour operators, and like sometime in the beginning of March from Viator when all this was happening, saying that hey, we're we're going to increase commission to make the landscape more fair for tour companies. You know, which is obviously, you know, and I I do very much like Viator. I have an awesome relationship with them, and they're I think they're a um, a, a very great team on the personal level that communicating with tour operators, all the, all the reps are amazing. But I, I think that, yeah, I mean, they, they probably weren't exercising the best level of emotional intelligence by increasing commissions during this, uh, you know, whole crisis for the tourism industry. Should they de- I want them to decrease commission, obviously. Do they have to? I mean, that's obviously a decision for them. Uh, they most likely will not. Uh, more likely what you would see if they are going to do something would be to give out loans, which I don't really see them do. I mean, obviously, if a lot of tour operators crash, it's bad for them. It's less those things on their website. So they don't want that, apparently. I don't think they would decrease commissions. So I think their commissions are going to be like usual. And like you said, it's a buyer's market. So you might even see them increasing even further. Although I, you know, because they're going to be paying more for the ad. So that's most likely what would happen. I don't, no, no one should wait around for a decrease, though. Pete, what's your your take on this? The, the number one thing OTAs should be doing at the moment is nothing to do with commissions. Commissions is for the future, and it's a future argument. 
at the moment, they should be paying the sums they're sitting on that are due to operators early. Because tours that happened last week and two weeks ago, they've been paid for. The operators often have things to pay for that. They've already paid out. There's guides waiting on payments. The OTAs are sitting on cash. And I know why they're sitting on cash at the cash at the moment, because they can get refund requests and chargebacks on their credit cards, et cetera, et cetera. If they want to win friends with operators, they should be paying cash early for product that's already been delivered. I think the whole commission thing is an argument and a discussion that we can have when we get out of this. I think at this stage, it's fairly irrelevant. Hmm. So paying paying faster uh, for sure. Well, that, and this is something I mentioned at the outset, and we're all experiencing it. This is a this cash flow is is definitely king in in this business, especially. Um, here we have I a actually, question. Actually, was on the, sorry, Doug. I was actually Go ahead. On the phone sure. with Viator recently. Uh, some of the the upper management of the account, and they're really receptive right now to changing cancellation policies to better better you know better the industry. So that's a discussion that's happening right now at, at Viator and TripAdvisor and different OTAs is the idea of possibly changing the cancellation policy to make it better for everyone. All right. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, and that actually comes up to our next question and we've got about three minutes left. I don't want to go beyond the hour. So uh, we'll, uh, I'll leave it with this one last question. And this actually is, uh, has to do with, uh, uh, with cancellations through uh, third parties like OTAs. This is from Joe O. Asens. Oh, I hope I'm maybe I'm mispronouncing that name. So apologies for that. So, Pete, let me just start, you know, with you. I think especially as a lot of operators are looking at adjusting their cancellation policies and dealing with just an unprecedented wave of cancellations over the past uh, week. It's obviously it's one thing to process it when you've handled the booking directly. But when you are having a booking that's coming through a third party and they've got their own cancellation policy, and we know over the past few years, especially some OTAs have um, have imposed uh, uh, cancellation uh, policies that have been a source of frustration for for many operators uh, shortening the cutoff window. Um, how does how do you go about working with uh, some of the OTAs on this? What what advice would you give and what are you experiencing? It's. It's complex and it's difficult, but I'll go back to the demand again, the, the actual customer. The more layers we have built, because we've built all these middle layers since we went digital between the customer uh, and the provider, it's only at times like this we find out how complex it is and how difficult it is. So if customers are getting frustrated because they're getting passed from operator to OTA, OTA to operator, it's a confusing thing thing for the end user being the customer. So I do think at the demand end, customers after this, based on their experience, are going to think about where they're going to place their bookings going forward. And that'll be an individual decision based on the experience they've they've recently had over the last few weeks. I think the OTAs will do what we were talking about earlier. They'll become actually easier on the, the cancellation policy because it's a land grab and it's an opportunity for them to get the new business when it starts up again. And that will be forced down on the, the the operators. I don't think the operators are in a position, we've not got the collective will, collective authority to go back to them and tell them this is what we want. The bigger ones may have, but I just, I, I just don't see it changing that much from where we are at the moment. But I do think the demand side 
the customer may think about where they want to put their booking going forward. So, you know, let me let's do this. We're, so we're at the top of the hour, but, you know, I, I've been just looking through. We have so many questions here. So, Pete and Sean, can we go a few minutes past the hour? Do you have some time? Because I, sure. I we no have some great questions here. Yeah. You're not All right. OK, so, yeah, super. So thank you. So first, the next question, this is from Neil Soda. This is uh, for you, Pete. So you had predicted Europe is going to come back before America. Um, and he just wanted some clarification. Why? Why do you see Europe coming back sooner? Uh, purely that they seem to be locking down quicker. Italy's been in lockdown. The UK is in partial lockdown. We're about to go into full lockdown. France is in lockdown. I just see, I think you come back quicker the quicker you get out of this by addressing the issue, which is the virus. So the only evidence we have to beat the virus is lockdowns. China did it and they're exiting. So I see the destinations. There'll be someone after the US. Africa's slow to the party. They're not locking down. India's not locking down with over a billion people. They're going to be even later. So I just I just see it's based on who locks down quickest, gets out quickest. Oh. Uh, so uh, next question uh, for Sean. Uh, this is from Rodrigo uh, Tuesta. So main changes in the value chain uh, configuration. So that's... <clears throat> Kind of an interesting, you know, an interesting question. I so when I think of that, I'll look at the whole value chain. Right, you're as an operator, you're in the middle. You're acquiring supply. It's your tour guides, your tickets from attractions. Uh, if you have transportation, you might be contracting with external uh, transportation providers, uh, or in some cases, you might own your own buses and then uh, or your own vehicles. And then so you're in the middle and then you've also got your third party distribution channels, whether it's through OTAs, whether it's through local ticket offices or travel agencies, <clears throat> excuse me, or other tour operators, you know, as a result of this, if you think about just the value chain from getting the, the product you source and the product out to, to customers, what is everything that we're going through? What does this mean for that value chain? Are, is, are the balance, the dynamics going to shift? Uh, one party going to have more or less power as we start to see this market come back? You know, it, it, if my if my theory that I mentioned earlier and that Peter was talking about as well, where OTAs actually scoop up more direct consumer traffic than they had prior and they're now siphoning that down to more tour operators instead of like, you know, companies like myself or, you know, city wanders that are, you know, heavily direct to consumer. Yeah, we might see the value chain tip closer towards the OTAs having more and more control and commissions going up across the boards amongst other companies as well. As for the end suppliers, you know, a driver or such, maybe they're going to try to rely less on the tour operator like myself and, and directly sell their customer, their, their products on Viator. So you might see some shifts. Honestly, what I think is going to happen is that when this all blows over, life will go back to how it was prior. And that might take a while. That might take over a year to happen, to be honest, until next until 2021 or 2022. But I, I think the value chain won't change that much. There might be a small shift or some, if some, companies fail, there might be some other companies that, you know, grow this larger startup mentality and try to get direct consumer or at least closer to the top of the value chain as possible. Pete, who's going to, when all this shakes out and travelers start coming back, who's going to have the most power in the market? Operators, OTAs, no. distributors? No. Well, no, that's wrong. If we take the market as a whole, 
you've got to mind OTAs, although we spend a lot of time talking about them, only own about 10% of the market as it is. So they're a minor player in the market. The operators own the market at the moment, albeit very fragmented. On the operators increasing, certainly from all the operators I've spoke to over the last 10 days, the ones who were heavily exposed to OTAs have found this more difficult than the ones that weren't heavily exposed to OTAs. Simple things like when I'm suggesting get your database working, go and contact your thousands of past customers. They've gone, I haven't got a database of thousands of past customers because 80% of my clients come from Viator or get your guide or whatever. So people then will start to build businesses that are built in resilience because they've gone through a dramatic time like this. Therefore, they'll be looking at the structure of the business and they will understand that if you want a resilient business, a direct-to-consumer business is more resilient than one that's all through the, the distribution channels. But on the other hand, who's going to come out the financially strongest at the end of this? Several OTAs. They're going to be in a much better position than individual operators due to finance to double down on the marketing, to double down and capture more market share. Hmm. Uh, there's an interesting question here from um, Elsa Erasmus. Uh, really, this has to do with uh, if you want to take bookings that are far out or offer <clears throat> offer vouchers for bookings that are far out, say, towards the end of the year. But there's still, <clears throat> excuse me, all of this uncertainty in the market about just when it's going to come back. How when should operators be taking bookings now? And if so, for for what time frame? Sean, what's your are you taking bookings now and for how far out are they? Yes, we are taking bookings. And operators should, in my opinion, definitely be taking bookings right now as well. I mean, you're always able to refund a customer or credit them in that case, but we should be open for business. You should have your customer service team online, you know, five to seven days a week if possible. Uh, one thing I, I was gonna mention prior is that you know if you are if you are trying to avoid cancellations and you have a very healthy cancellation policy too, you should be trying to switch customers for further out. 2021, no change fees, even offer additional credit on top of their booking total to get them to switch instead of canceling. Obviously, it's just better for tourism in total. It's better for you as a tour company. It's better for the restaurants in that city because now they're going to be replanning that trip. It's better for the airlines, better for everyone. So yes, I, I would I would agree that we should be trying to take bookings in the uh, in the future. You know. Get the, get the cycle going again. Yeah, so uh, related to that, I, there was a, an interesting question that that also you know came up as well. Uh, you know, especially for operators that are you know that are really struggling, and there's a lot of advice about say issuing vouchers often at a discount to be redeemed at a future date. But you know, one issue there is you know when you issue a voucher but you can't operate now, that voucher exists. It might be revenue in in today. But you can't really uh, account it as revenue. It's a liability on your books. It's something that you yeah. do have to fulfill. And if you're in a financially uh, challenged uh, position, is it a good idea, Pete, to uh, – I mean, I know we need cash. We all need – everyone in this market needs cash right now, every one of us. But is it good to is, – is there a risk associated with taking that on as, you know, as a yeah, liability? If you do it at volume – there is a risk because it's going to show as liabilities on your books. And then if you're going to borrow loans or whatever to get through this, you've got liabilities sitting on your books. So there's a risk associated with it. But if you have to balance that against the other risks, that no cash coming in means you go out of business, you take the cash it's being offered. So 
this is a it's all about priorities and each business will have different priorities depending on the financial situation. But for many operators I'm speaking to, any cash gives them X breathing space to survive a little bit longer. To me, they have to take the cash and sell the voucher. Uh, so here's a, a question from Lori Scott. I'm just going to read this. So she, she says, in the U.S. and in larger cities, we are being advised that if we do open, we have to drastically limit our capacities. And as such, possibly canceling uh, scheduled, I'm presuming these are tours uh, for June, where you have to have a fewer number of, of people and you've got June sold out. So has anyone considered how they will do this? So I think maybe the, the question is, uh, it's about how do you reduce how do you reduce capacity? I mean, so and we, I think we should assume as the market comes back, it's going to it's going to come back in drips <laughs> as opposed to a, you know, a full a full rush of of demand. So I think it's really about just kind of resetting, you know, resetting your product, uh, your, the number of departures or the capacity to accommodate a market that may be anywhere from 30 to 50 percent. I mean, Pete, what's your your thought on that? First, you've got to get rid of, I mean, we all have many products uh, in good times we love selling and the customers enjoy. At this time, you have to kill lots of your product sets. You want to just run the ones that are generating the best cash for the business because you're going to have reduced capacity. Therefore, you, you have to reduce your product set and just focus on the best profitable products you can. I think that from the tone of the question was from the person asking, it was still about this running to here because they're thinking too short term. You're not going to be working with reduced customers when this virus is building. You're going to be reduced customers when we're getting out of the virus because if you're not shut down now, you're going to be shut down. So this wishful thinking of we're going to be operating, semi-operating, if we do that, countries are not going to get out of this. Therefore, the reduced capacity is for when we're building again and for sure we should be running with less products. And and uh, we also had a discussion about this in a previous webinar as well about really just focusing on those products that are the most profitable. That's going to drive kind of the most business when you return. Just uh, you know, related to this, uh, because we do have a lot of operators that run custom tours and experiences. So if you basically only do private tours or private you know private experiences, how do you you know how do you think about that? Uh, um, Sean, if you do private experience, what would you advise to, say, a smaller operator that's really focused on, on private custom custom groups? Uh, so, yeah, so the question is, should they limit the amount of private tours they're running or? Well, how do they think about this from a, you know, from a, a um, yes, from a, a product standpoint, kind of going back into the market? Because I think when we've got, you know, if, if you are a tour operator, you're running multiple departures, you maybe have different types of tours, you should have a good sense of, okay, these are the ones that are the most profitable, uh, that are good, uh, highest demand. These are ones that are less impactful to the business. And when you're looking at cutting expenses, you can reduce those. But if you're a small, if you're a group operator or you do small uh, kind of custom uh, custom experiences, how, how do you think about, uh, say, limiting your, your, your product portfolio or reducing expenses? Well, private tours have nonlinear profit margins. So if you sell one private tour, you make, let's say, $100. If you sell two private tours, you make $200. So it's different small group tours. So I don't, I, I wouldn't limit them. Uh, I would continue to run as many private tours as you can and as many destinations as you can, because if one person buys it, the tour makes a profit, which is all you need. As long as your website UI doesn't get clunky or messy or things like that. So I would continue to running as many 
products as possible. You obviously want to list the best products and put them at the front of the store and not at the back of the store. So have them above the fold so customers can see them, well-marketed. Um, I also want to make a comment about the idea of reducing product line. I don't actually, I, I think if you have one product in a city, then I agree with Pete where you should probably cut that product. And if it's not running well or not very profitable, but I think that if you have multiple products in one category destination, you should continue to run the products that aren't even very profitable. If there's a chance that you can just upgrade the customers from those products to get to the other product that is profitable, because having more doors open in a scenario like this and more price points in different pricing categories will help you as we go through this. You can just combine and upgrade customers to first class and get them to that better, more profitable product, but you guarantee they're actually going to purchase product from your website as well. Which So I would say going through this to also not limit your your products if you're if you're already operating destination if you're not operating if you only have one product in destination it's not profitable probably shut down the destination but if you have multiple products in destination i would continue to run all of them as long as you can design it so you can upgrade your customers to other more profitable tours just one thing on the private tour for all the private tour operators out there here's the good news your your private tour should have a premium on them as we come out of here because is people going to want to jump on a bus with 50 other people or are they going to want to have a private tour for their family? So there is an argument that you could put a premium on private tours as we start to get back to normal. The bad news is all the tour operators that are not operating private tours are probably about to start operating private tours <laughs> because private tours, I think, will be popular as we climb out of this. And why do you think that? It's a pure health risk. People... Mm -hmm. are People take risk analysis often very quickly in their head. And as things come back, it isn't going to be an instant bounce back where everything's well. So popular destinations, big crowds, busy cities may not bounce back to this as quickly as remote destinations, rural destinations, private tour. Do I want to be on a tour with 50 people or do I want to be a tour with just the guide and my family? Well, look, we're about 15 minutes past the hour. I think we're going to wrap it up here very quickly. Uh, so I want to just ha ask you each kind of a, for a last last word, a last piece of advice to our attendees. Sean, uh, what's the last word you want to leave everybody with? For everyone to be, uh, you know, looking around for ways to raise funding and raise money right now, what's going to get you through this is government loans, government grants, state grants, local grants search around and look and apply for every single possible thing that can keep you in business. Obviously make sure it's enough money to get you through into 2021. Don't plan on like a, like Peter was saying in April or May bounce back. If you're going to raise money and raise debt that you're probably personally backing. You're going to want to raise enough to get you all the way into next year in case this happens again. So just try to raise liquidity right now uh, as much as you can in order to get you to next year. Pete, the last word. Yeah, just on the, rather than the doom and gloom that we're having to deal with, with a look at the opportunity, the, is, the jungle is now neutral. The jungle before this happened, there was a higher record in tours and activities and bigger companies could win the game uh, and was increasingly winning the game. But now we've all been leveled. Everybody's in the jungle and it's neutral. Those that have the most resilience, the most innovative thoughts, the most different ways of dealing with this, are going to be in a better position than many when we get through this. So as bad as this is, and it is bad, and I wish it never happened, it is also a huge opportunity once we start coming out of it. 
Great. Well, those uh, great words to wrap up with Pete, uh, Pete Syme, Sean Finelli. Thank you both so much. And thank you for jumping on at a pretty short notice uh, for this just a couple of days ago, as well as uh, for giving us the extra time today. Uh, and thanks to all of you for joining us today. Uh, next week, we've got a packed program of online events uh, from financial management with Kate Presto, a one-on-one -on -one interview with Ben Drew of Viator, which came up quite a bit today. Uh, we've got sessions on Facebook marketing uh, with Chris Torres, who's also just released a really interesting uh, document you shall have a look at. Basically, I think he called it, is it a battleground or battle plan? It's a battle plan for marketing in a coronavirus uh, environment, which we're all facing today. And he's making that available for free for operators around the world. And then uh, one of our classic sessions at Arrival, how to choose your booking tech. Now is a great time to look at all of your internal processes, uh, your tech stack, your marketing activities, and make sure that, that is all uh, where you want it to be for when the recovery happens. So lots happening at Arrival Online. You can see the full program. We've got sessions planned through April, and we're adding more every single day. Uh, so please go there and have a look. And also don't forget the handout from today's slides in the handout section on your right. So thanks, everyone. And again, Pete, Sean, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.